you were asked why you love researching and teaching the Old Testament, you say this, and I quote, because the Old Testament does not gloss over economic bondage, oppression and poverty, violence and abuse of women, environmental degradation, sickness and death. Why do you say that those things are so important and, and a reason why people should pay attention to the Old Testament? Well, because it's the real world. It's the world that I encounter daily. It's my world. It's in the majority world where you have sexual trafficking. So that's what's happening in real life. And then if you go to, to the scripture and expect only rosy pictures, then how does it relate to real life? But you do see these things. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as Global Ambassador and Ministry Director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Athena Gorospey from the Philippines. As a Langham scholar, she received her PhD in Old Testament studies with support from Langham at Fuller Theological Seminary. She returned to Manila, where she is a professor at the Asia Theological Seminary. Athena has been referred to as one of 30 Old Testament Bible scholars you should be reading and following, and it's not hard to understand why. Her insights on how theology is integral to mission and how the Old Testament speaks hope into present hard times will challenge and inspire you. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright, and today we're heading back to Asia. And I have the honor and the pleasure of talking with Dr. Athena Gorospe from the Philippines. So welcome to you, Athena. It's really good that you can be with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, Athena Gorospe is Professor of Old Testament Studies at the Asia Theological Seminary, it's ATS, in Manila. She's a Langham Scholar, and she did her PhD in, in Old Testament at Fuller Seminary in 2006. But you are now a theological educator in all kinds of ways. And I just wonder what led you into that. Uh, how did you feel God's calling and equipping to a lifetime of theological study and teaching? So um, after I, I, I received Christ in my life, I I. I began to share the good news to others. So I was very um, enthusiastic in sharing the good news to others <laughs> with my friends, with my classmates. 
And I, when I was in fourth year, I did, I did get a call, a fourth year high school, you know, a call from God to serve Him in a in a greater with a greater capacity in terms of of missions in the area of missions. But I, I thought that uh, if I'm going to be a missionary, I need to prepare myself theologically. But at that time, I didn't think of attending um, uh, a theological uh, school full time. So I only, while I was in my last year in university, I took some extension courses by Asian Theological Seminary near my home. It was only for a, it's called the Master of Christian Leadership. It was only supposed to be for, um, for those, uh, for lay people, for those who want to be leaders of the church. And I said, I, I better try this. But, uh, and I only uh, took survey courses, uh, plus a course called Christians in Society. An exciting mm. course. Exciting, that would be exciting. Exciting, yes. exciting. But, well, taking Bible courses um, somehow um, uh, kindled so much hunger in me to know more of God's Word, the, uh, to study it in a more in-depth way. Uh, and I, I discovered how, how much I love, I love the Word of God and how much I live, I live, uh, and I, I, let's say I draw my strength from it. Okay. Uh, without it, I, yeah. you know, you hunger and you thirst. And so I wanted to know more about God's Word. I wanted to know how to study it more. But I think what really pushed me was that when I, when I got this, when I took this course, Christians in Society, uh, you know, my, my, when I was in the university, I became involved in a Christian organization and I became a leader there. And also I was a leader of the young people. But somehow the tradition that, uh, that um, was taught to me was uh, a more narrow view of mission, mm. which is that you save as many people as you can here on earth and bring them to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but that course, Christians and Society, somehow broadened my view of mission. And uh, it taught me a lot about God's, uh, God's justice and righteousness mm -hmm. and, uh, and that, uh, the importance of not making an impact, not only in a personal, personal way, but also in a corporate way. Mm -hmm. And I so... So, so just one, just one, one story. So when I finished the exam, I finished the exam of that course, and I got it back. The teacher said, "Oh, I wish you would go for further studies, lady theologian," and that was actually the thing that pushed me to go on for further studies. That's a lovely story. What a, what a good teacher uh, to encourage you in that way. What's fascinating to me, Athena, and what you said so far is that you started out with this strong interest in mission missions. Yeah. That led you to think that you needed a little bit more theological training. And then your theological studies led you to see the importance of theology to mission. And, uh, and I'm just wondering how you would now describe being on mission, which is the title of our podcast after all in what sense is being a theological student and educator and teacher of theology in what sense is that being on mission it doesn't really for many people it doesn't sound like mission 
Well, um, first of all, uh, let me just tell a little bit of the story. Um, when, uh, when I was considering me to go, uh, going on missions to another country, I really wanted to go to another country. But then that would mean that I would have to learn the language, a very difficult language, uh, for years and years before I could go. And I was going to a Filipino um, Chinese church at that time. I was the first Filipino in a Filipino Chinese church, in an ethnic Chinese, ethnic Filipino church, Filipino Chinese church. And my pastor told me, he said, it would take years for you to learn the language, for you to be fluent enough to be able to share it in that language. And I think uh, it would be best for you to, to be in the position of training other Asians so that they can go back to their countries and, and minister there in their own language. And I really thought about that. He even gave me a name in Chinese, which means get Asia. <laughs> you know, his mission for me was to get Asia. And I thought that that, may, that would be more effective for me in terms of the mission field, rather than going there directly and having to learn the culture and the language, which other people can do, you know, the ones who go to our school. And ATS is an international school. So I thought that that may be uh, the um, maybe the way by which I can outwork God's calling. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me that that is actually very close to the Great Commission because, you know, Jesus says, go and make disciples. But he also said, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the, the role of the teacher, as you are, in teaching and equipping others in their mission journeys is as much a great commission task as those who actually go uh, or who have come from other countries and getting trained and then going back. So I think it is important for people to recognize that theological education is an intrinsic part of the mission of the church. And, and someone like you and, of course, many other Langham scholars who are doing that work are indeed on mission. You ended up doing doctoral studies in the United States, in California, Pasad Fuller mm -hmm. Seminary in Pasadena. And I just wonder, from a human point of view, what that was like, being a, a Filipino woman there in California, were there, were there positives, were there negatives? Just what was it like doing your PhD studies in the States? Well, I thought before leaving that I would not have a difficult time adjusting uh, simply because the Philippines was colonized by the United States <laughs> and we're always exposed to Western media on TV. So I know a lot about it in some sense on TV. But uh, when I got to, the, to, to California, I, I did find it a strange world. It was a different world. And uh, I felt invisible. <laughs> I felt marginalized in many ways. I felt that some of this, the experience, I had already a very long experience uh, in terms of ministry in my own country before going to the United States. But I felt that that was not counted at all. So even when I attended church, it, and I wanted to help, I, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't accepted because uh, they, they didn't know me. And therefore I was sort of a newbie, a newbie person. So I, 
and and I'm I was so used to living in a community setting, and then suddenly you're doing a PhD and you're on your own, all on your own most of the time. Mm -hmm. So you can have you can be doing all that work for in uh, in one day, and not talk to any person at all. Which is similar to what's happening now, actually, mm, <laughs> in yes. terms of lockdown. <laughs> like a lockdown, yes. <laughs> you do your work and then you discover, mm. oh, I haven't even talked to any person at all the whole day, you know, verbally, mm. although mm. You, you send messages all the time. I think there is a, a fact that uh, doing a PhD studies, even in your own country, I mean, I, I experienced it myself here doing my PhD in Cambridge, that there is, there is a certain loneliness about being a doctoral student. And I think people perhaps listening to this could pray about that and remember that, uh, pray for our Langham scholars, that loneliness can be a factor. Um, and especially perhaps for, for someone like you who is a single person, uh, but also for married couples. And then that is then amplified when people have come from another culture and find that they're not, in a sense, adopted and absorbed into ministry within the culture they've arrived in. So I think those are quite important points for us to recognize and pray for. Now, when, when you were doing your PhD, tell us a bit about uh, your topic. It was in uh, when you eventually moved to the research part of it, the dissertation part of it. It was in the uh, Old Testament field, wasn't it? Yes, I did my work uh, on a passage in Exodus one of the most difficult passages when uh, Yahweh, after calling Moses, Yahweh met him and the text says, uh, you know, sought to kill him. Mm. Okay. So, which is a bit of a it strange, is a, a very strange. puzzling passage. Yes. He sends him down very to Egypt puzzling. and then on the way he tries to kill him. I mean, what's going on yeah. here? Yes. I yeah. know. And, and that yeah. was your research topic? It, it not fully so the the whole thing was in the area of old testament narrative ethics and then how can you have a narrative ethics when you have this kind of a passage but i use the um, works of this narrative theory of paul ricoeur his narrative ethics to read that passage in some sense as i am not more like a as a as lenses or as handles by which to to help me understand the passage uh, and and that that has opened up another avenue for me in a sense that which is actually contextual you know you you think about uh, people nowadays they think that oh you you study some obscure topic that won't have any relationship to Real, real issues in your own in your own context. So, people have this perception that a PhD is just intellectual work of, of an esoteric topic that doesn't have anything to do with real life situations, right? And you know, I was studying a French philosopher, Paul Ricoeur, in terms of his narrative ethics. What does it have to do with something in the Philippines? But then. Uh, Following his uh, his narrative movement, which uh, shows the importance of the real flesh and blood reader, which is me, I actually read uh, the passage of Moses going back to Egypt as Moses as a migrant returnee. Okay, so I connected it with the issue of migration, and uh, and. And it's now very 
common nowadays to talk about liminality. That's now the buzzword, especially mm. in terms of our situation now. And uh, but during that time, it was not the big thing. You know, people don't talk a lot about liminality. And that he he went through a liminal experience, and how as a migrant, you do have that kind of a liminal mm. experience. Uh, but you you have an experience of marginality, which mm. needs to be transformed into liminality, for mm. it to have possibilities. So you, it's not doesn't become a dead end. I think it's worth just uh, opening up that concept for a moment because that word liminality will probably not have uh, crossed some people's ears before. Uh, it's it's the the, the limin the liminal is is the threshold, isn't it? It's yes. it's the experience of being in not in one place and not yet in another place, but being halfway in between, crossing in a binary, therefore being on the margins of somewhere where you are familiar. And the margins of somewhere where you're headed, so it's it's that in betweenness, uh, and as you say, it's recognizing that you're in between something that then opens up the possibilities of what lies ahead, and that is quite important both theologically and indeed in relation to mission as well, because of the enormous reality of migration and migrant populations in our world today. Did I get that right? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. But, <laughs> Thank you, but, I, <laughs> but I think uh, what Moses went through is a is a death-like experience. Ah, yes. Mm. And how in the liminal stage, there is a dying that is involved mm -hmm. in order for you to be open to new life, in order right. for transformation to take place. Because mm. you have to say goodbye to the old thing. Mm -hmm. There's a separation from the old, old, old life. And in order for you to embrace the new life, you have to go through a death-like process. And I think I just wrote an article which is going to be published soon. It's a COVID response, um, COVID response book. And uh, it, it's entitled Lament Liminality and Living in the In-Between. And how even in this pandemic, we we have to die to certain things. We ha we have that experience, not just physically of dying, in order to to be born into a different world, a new world which is different from before. Mm. That's very important, and I think very biblical as well. Now, of course, while you were doing this study, it was on the Old Testament, and I, I want to quote your own words here to you because. Uh, there is a website on, on the Pathios uh, platform uh, which describes uh, 30 Old Testament Bible scholars to read and follow, and you're among those. And when you are asked why you love researching and teaching the Old Testament, you say this, and I quote, because the Old Testament does not gloss over economic bondage, oppression and poverty, violence and abuse of women, environmental degradation, sickness and death, end quote. Now, Athena, those are some of the reasons that people don't like the Old Testament, uh, because of all the violence and abuse of women and so on that is in there. So why do you say that those things are so important and, and a reason why people should pay attention to the Old Testament. Well, because it's the real world. <laughs> it's the world that I encounter daily. It's my, it's my world. It's in the majority world where you have sexual trafficking. 
where you have extrajudicial killings happening, where you have uh, you have um, people near the coastlines because we are in the typhoon area and they live in the coast. They're they're always being inundated when there's a typhoon because they so live near the coast and with the with the with the climate change phenomenon, the seas are getting higher. And so you have a lot of flooding going on in the coastlines and even in, inside the cities as well. Uh, and and you, have, you have women being abused, domestic abuse. You have uh, uh, children uh, being forced to do online uh, and this breaks my heart, you know, they, they sell themselves and show themselves online because mm-hmm. of the economic need of the family. And that's a phenomenon that happens. So, so that's what's happening in real life. And then if you go to, if you go to, a, to the scripture and expect uh, only rosy pictures, then how does it relate to real life? But mm-hmm. you do see these things. And you and and because you see this, you know that first of all, God understands what's happening mm-hmm. to you, and as you get engaged with the narrative, you get a heart. You you see the heart of God in terms of uh, uh, the pain, the pain in God's heart of of what has happened to society. Like I I I I've written a commentary in the Book of Judges. And you look the you look at the deterioration of conditions there, that as a result of people drawing away from God, you see the the fabric of society also having a, a breakdown, and relationships and their abuse and there's so much uh, infighting and power grabbing etc. And how women are treated, and and you see that and you see and you see that no that's not that's not the world that god wants and and by reading the narrative and entering this narrative you then desire for something that's different and you want to work for something that's different and you want to see god's god's righteousness and justice seen in people's lives and and so does the I Old Testament? On and on. Yes, I know. But then, <laughs> no. then the question to ask would be: Yes, the Old Testament describes the reality that we also see in today's world. It tells us of the pain of God, that God cares about this. Does it go any further? I mean, it might be wonderful to say, "Well, I'm very glad God cares. That's nice to know." But has He done anything about it? You know, is, is there any sense of hope or redemptive message that you see also in the Old Testament scriptures in relation to these horrors that it describes? That uh, uh, we're still living in in our world. Yeah, I, I think that that's why it's important when reading scripture that first of all, you just don't get oriented to one genre. If, if you're just reading narratives all the time, then it tells us what it is. And therefore, yeah. you think that that's the only thing that the scriptures say. But you do have wisdom literature, you do have the Psalms, you do have the prophets, which which critiques certain things that are happening in society and provides a vision for what can be, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have the law, law materials as well. And so uh, 
one needs to to grapple with all the genres, um, understand and know how to read them, which I do with all with my students. You know, you just don't focus on one genre. You look at the different diverse forms and know then how to how to read them. So so that's one thing. Um, and and then of course you don't just get. Um, um, stuck in terms of one particular passage you do need to see the whole story <laughs> there is a, there is a bigger story than there the is indeed. small story the, exactly and that bigger story of course ultimately becomes the bigger story of the whole canon of scripture doesn't it which leads us from the awfulness of the fall and the sin and the rebellion the promise to abraham and ultimately through the old testament leads us to christ and the redemptive work of god through the cross and resurrection and the hope of new creation so uh, these horror stories in the book of Judges and so on, we've got to take them seriously, but we've got to also locate them within the overarching canonical narrative that leads to a better world uh, yes. because of Christ. Yes, yeah. indeed. Now, let's, let's, let's come back to your home country, to the Philippines. Now, you've been telling us, and you could tell us more in a moment, uh, about some of the struggles and challenges that are there. But I'd love you to, to tell us something positive. I mean, tell us a little bit about what you love about the Philippines. I think it's, first of all, it's this concept of the extended family. And when you say extended family, uh, so you have the nuclear family, right? And so how can me as a single person fit if you don't have... Um, you don't have a spouse and children, so who is your nuclear family, see? But I don't feel the need for that. I'm lacking in so something because I do have my siblings. I do, uh, before my parents died, do have my parents. And you have all these relatives and the extended family. But it's not the extended family not only, not only works that way. The, the extended family concept is seen in terms of the church community. It becomes your family as well. And so now in a situation of a pandemic, when, there are, when there's a breakdown in terms of the health structure and the health system, the only way that helps us in terms of surviving the pandemic is the help of the extended family. See? Mm. They, they're your resource or else uh, you would just feel so abund abandoned. Nobody can help you, especially if you live on your own. But here, because you have an extended family, uh, if you get you, you have to quarantine, somebody can, can take care of your food. They bring, you have people sending in food and helping you. You have all sharing of resources, etc. Because of that, so that's one thing I love. It's the sense of community and sharing. It's a koinonia in a real sense, you know, in an economic sense, yeah. uh, and not just a physical sense. You don't see each other. You no longer have the church as it used to be. But because you have this sharing and caring for each other, so... so. One of the things that I've always appreciated in, in visiting the Philippines is it, the people I know and love there have a tremendous resilience, a, a great kind of inner joy. There's, a, there's almost a sense of... Uh, joyfulness or, or, or happiness, or and I don't think it's just purely superficial. Uh, there's something that seems to be there that says we can survive this, we can, we can make it, we can go on, in spite of and perhaps because of the constant challenges that you have. Would that be a true observation? Do you feel that yourself as, as a Filipino? 
I think it's more, yes, but it's more that you live in the present. Okay. There, there's so much of a, uh, you enjoy what you have in the present. Mm-hmm. And so if you have parties are a big thing and you really live in the present in a party and just yeah. fully enjoy it, uh, there are adva- disadvantages, of course, if you're just living in the present. But but because of that, uh, you're not you're you don't worry too much about the future, and you don't past is past. What we have now is the present, and therefore we en- we need to enter into the joy of the moment. So that's true, and that's that's also that's that's helpful for us to survive. So, for example, I know that many Western countries have a hard time with lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, even though we, we've been in lockdown for one year, I think we have the longest lockdown in the world. <laughs> Goodness. And now they're very, very strict again. Uh, but you are able to adjust to those circumstances, to the limitations of life somehow, and mm-hmm. find joy in the present. Now, you referred earlier to the challenges of uh, the Philippines lying very much within the typhoon area of, of that part of the, of the world, that that's a, a constant reality. Um, and some of us will remember that in uh, November 2013, I believe it was, there was the worst typhoon that I think in, in scale had ever happened, yeah. not just in the Philippines, but in the world, uh, Typhoon Haiyan. Uh, yes. which hit the Philippines and did enormous damage to not just buildings but human life. And your seminary, ATS, responded quite remarkably to that, as I'm sure did other churches. But perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that occasion and how you would see that response of the church to something like typhoon damage as, again, a dimension of being on mission. Uh so you've mentioned about Typhoon Haiyan. We we noticed that there were a lot of responses in terms of physical resources. And uh, it is it's not a rich community. We don't have a lot of, we can't bring all those, uh, you know, trucks of, of um, relief goods. But we can offer uh, psycho-spiritual support which was the lacking thing. It was not seen before that, that that was an important dimension of those who have gone through a terrible typhoon, that you need uh, some, some way to deal with, uh, 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 it's called psychological first aid, so that it doesn't become trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we felt that there's a niche, there's something that we can do as a seminary to respond to, to that need. And so we sent about um, 60 students, alumni, staff, and faculty to the field in different areas because it's such a, it was such a, a widespread destruction in so many areas in the middle part of the Philippines. So we're in Luzon, it's in the Visayas area. And uh, like even Tacloban was totally raised. And so we trained people and we sent people to do that. And um and you were talking about that that was part of our mission too, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, somehow, maybe because of the way um, the way we've been formed in ATS, that was not something that we questioned whether that's part of our mission or not. Mm-hmm. You, 
whether it's in the area of um, emotional healing, you know, whether it's in terms of providing physical needs, in terms of telling them the gospel about Jesus, in terms of word and preaching and preaching and teaching, that's part of the whole scope of mission. Mm. And we respond to what is needed in that situation. And so ATS went there without even thinking of Mm -hmm. whether it's this part of mission. (laughs) So we went. But I think, you see, the way you put it like that is significant. You didn't have to stop and think, is this mission or not? Because you had already, in a sense, intuited. There was a sense in which instinctively and in your your almost worldview, your subconscious was this view that Mission means responding out of the love of Christ to the needs of the world uh, in order to be the arms and legs and feet and voice and ears and eyes of Jesus uh, in people's need. And that, in a sense, is mission. It's it's intuitive, it's instinctive, it's responsive, uh, and it, it doesn't need a lot of lectures in missiology and integrated mission to feel this is what we've got to do uh, and, and go and do it. And that seems to me to be a marvellous example. And we've I've seen other cases of it, for example, the church's responses in Lebanon uh, to the uh, influx of Syrian refugees into their country. And the churches just reach out and love them for Jesus' sake and then let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do with that response. Still staying with still staying with the Philippines for a moment. And and I don't know how much you will want to say here, but of course there's been a very difficult political situation there uh, mm. for uh, a number of years. Uh, and then that uh, with the coronavirus coming on top of all that. So the country is suffering in all kinds of ways. And I just wonder what it is like to be an evangelical, Christian, theological educator, uh, caring for people, caring for the gospel, caring for truth, uh, caring for justice in the midst of the situation that you're in. But I have heard you speak on this with uh, with yes. Dr. Rico Villanueva, uh, that there are, that, that the the government of President Duterte has been divisive in the way Christians have responded to his actions in relation, for example, to uh, drugs and so on, uh, that there are those who have supported him, that there are those who are very dubious of what he's doing. Well, um, we, we did, we, many of us uh, spoke about this for many, many months and many, many, mm. uh, I think he got elected in 2016, even before the elections, because we were aware that there were extrajudicial killings that were already happening in Davao when he was a mayor. But they were able to control the narrative to, to show that he was such a such a good leader and uh, I think that and so many of us went to social media to protest so many many things um, they had this fate and buy-in series which was a, a webinar where they talk about different issues in terms of church and society and that that really made an impact and in in terms of shaping, shaping people's minds. But one thing that I have done, apart from speaking out, I'm not, no longer too much on social media now because I felt that maybe there's another way, another way to go. Uh, one thing that some of us have done is actually walk with the, 
mothers of the HAK victims. So we have visited, I have visited some, with some people, I visited some homes to, to pray for them and care for them and provide financial help. Uh, I, I, I feel that um, during this pandemic, and with all the situation that's happening in my country, and even in Myanmar, I have students in Myanmar, people that I love and are close to our alumni, that uh, it's actually the ministry of presence, of journeying with them, of listening to their stories, of crying and grieving and praying. Uh, that That is so important at this time. And and that's what we did in terms of the Yolanda. That's what we did in our in many other situations, not just in terms of Yolanda. We just had a recent uh, ministry to the Quezon City Jail, <laughs> loving our neighbor, <laughs> because uh, when COVID was starting, oh now it's widespread. When COVID was starting, the first to be infected was actually inside the jail, and you know how there are. So it's it's only for eight hundred people, but there are four thousand people inside the jail wow. hmm. because of the drug war. And some of them they don't even have a place to sleep in. They sleep in this basketball court, hmm. and they take turns, you know, to sleep. Hmm. And so we felt that we needed to do something to help. Uh, to help that since some of the inmates were infected and also some of the jailers, that we need to do something so that the COVID won't spread inside the jail. And we actually had a very big initiative. We call it Loving Our Neighbor because it's just very near ATS. And you know, there were so many, uh, and it was successful. Uh, and the, the jail officers became our friends. We also shared scripture with them. Some time ago, there was a, a, a devotional that you gave uh, in which you said that American Christians need to be downwardly mobile. You argued that they should recover, I quote, Jesus' concern for the marginalized, for the invisible people. And I wonder whether that's something you would still want to say to Christians in the West in general and America in particular, even 15 years later since you made that quote. Uh, do you still think that and how would that work? Uh, definitely. And not only for Western Christians, but I think for, for all Christians, we do need to have uh, that kind of a heart for the marginalized and for those who are who are invisible. And I think part of my passion for the marginalized have really been developed as a result of my own experiences, experiences of suffering and marginality. And I think we find it hard to, to identify with others. It doesn't have to be the, the same, same experience, but it's an experience of suffering. Uh, to, to bring the presence of Jesus to others means that we are also able to identify with what they're going through, just as Jesus did. And therefore, that's an important element to be able to, to um, have a heart for the marginalized. But I think 
the second thing, and 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 in that talk, I did talk about, I did use that uh, famous passage that which talks about, um, and uh, although he was rich, and then he became poor. Okay, uh, and and just the grace of God, which is uh, it's just in Christ Jesus, you know, grace in Christ Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty he might become rich. I have been studying that passage for, you know, I go through book by book. And so I've been doing Second Corinthians and writing the Greek out, etc. <laughs> so I'm not just Old Testament, New Testament too. And I've noticed that in that two chapters, you have a lot of grace there, cares, cares, cares. So it, it talks about grace all the time and how the source of, of their generosity. It talks about generosity a lot. But the key to the generosity is the grace of God, the experience of God's grace. And it's so hard to be generous if you haven't experienced that grace yourself, the generosity of God in one's life. And so, so I saw that as, 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 as an important element in terms of reaching out, in terms of our mission as well, reaching out to people in terms of this partnership between the West and the majority world, how an experience of God's grace can actually release this generosity to others. So it's the, so you have the source is the grace of God, and then the recipient, the recipient experiences grace, but the giver, also experiences a lot of grace in terms of people praying for them and caring for them, in terms of uh, uh, the virtues developing different types, uh, not adding to their faith also that generosity, which is so important. And then it, it ends with grace going back to God in terms of thanksgiving to God. Okay, thanks be to God. And, and so I felt, I feel that in order for us to have that heart for others and that generosity towards others, it's important for us to have that experience of God's grace. And I think that's the key to, to my heart for others, my being willing to enter into their suffering. It's because I've experienced so much of the grace of God. Thank you, Athena. That's, that is so precious. and so thoroughly biblical because it, it, it goes all the way through the scriptures that everything starts from the grace of God which we experience as blessing which we share with others in generosity which then returns to us in renewed grace uh, for both the receiver and the giver and ends up with thanksgiving and grace as it were returning to God it's, it's a great cycle or circle of grace and it flows through the whole scripture and that was a very precious way of, exp of, of putting it so thank you Let's let's come back to uh, to your professional life as as a theological educator and a teacher and a writer, uh, because I think among your jobs as as well as teaching Old Testament is that you're also the director of PhD studies in contextual theology program there at ATS. Uh, can you tell us what that is and 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 who's doing it and what is the objective? Okay. It's, uh, I have two admin roles, administrative roles. So I'm the Biblical Studies Chair as well, and I'm the Director of the PhD in Contextual Theology. So it's a different kind of, of PhD 
in a sense that you have three disciplines, uh, Bible, theology, and the use of the social sciences. Uh, you, you know, you always have this emphasis on contextual, contextual situation, but often our understanding of the context is intuitive. It's not based on an actual study, qualitative study. And so this PhD wants to emphasize that in order for us to understand the context and respond theologically or biblically into this context, we have to, the, the student has to go and do a field work in terms of the context uh, that, that he or she wants to address. So we've, we're now, it's, a, it's every other year, it's by cohort. So we, we had the 2017 cohort and then the 2019, and then we will have the 2021 cohort. And we actually had somebody from Africa in the 2019, Wonderful, from Ethiopia. wonderful, yeah. <laughs> Ethiopia. And on oh, Ethiopian, that's, that's marvelous. I, yeah. I think one of the great things about this, just again to point out for, our, for those who are listening, is that you are a Langham scholar and part of the purpose of the Langham Scholar Program is not just that people will get their PhDs, but that they will then be those who can enable institutions to develop their own doctoral programs to then be training their own PhDs in their context and culture. So the, the, the multiplication factor uh, of having enabled you to get your PhD and then return to ATS is now seen in the fruit of uh, people from Philippines and also from Africa getting their PhDs in, in relating the Bible and theology to their own context. That seems to me to be a, a, a marvellous story to tell yes and uh, also the, the topics that they have like we have one person doing some work on in the area of reconciliation um she has a ministry to um to an uh it's an urban ethnic muslim urban community so here in the city but it's in a very very poor poor area and so she's doing work in that and able to to get and, and what's wonderful about this is that we also tap into the university the help of the university in terms of the social sciences mm -hmm. so we have adjunct a visiting faculty from the top uh, university schools university of the philippines ateneo de manila giving input in terms of the social in terms of the social sciences mm -hmm. So That's it's great. exciting. Yes, making an impact in the secular university as well. You're also a writer, uh, Athena. You were telling us earlier that you were producing articles and leaflets and so on. And you've written a number of books, including a commentary on judges. Uh, I just wonder, what are you working on now? What, what, is your, what is your passion in your writing? What's the big idea that really drives your vision in, in producing books that will serve the church? Uh, I think I, I talked a little bit about that in the 30 Hebrew scholars, this, this issue of discernment, the issue of discernment, of uh, discernment in terms of the scriptures, okay, but discernment in uh, doing it in a um, somehow a systematic and methodological way. Okay, it's not just intuitive, mm -hmm. and that's the value of theological education. 
it helps you to develop this frame of thinking and uh, uh, a, a certain way of doing things in order to be able to interpret and appropriate scripture. And then discernment of the social context. That's why we want to, and that involves immersion, being, being involved with people, but also looking at the macro, the factors uh, happening in terms of the situation. But I think I, I raised up in that uh, 30 Hebrew scholars that the problem oftentimes as well is how to match the, the scripture with a certain context. And, and often people then use the scripture and, and put it in terms of a certain context when that's not appropriate for that context. Uh, this with the recognition that there are, there are, there do have various voices in scripture. And because it has different context, it has different historical context, and therefore you have various voices. And it's discerning what voice then would, would, be, would speak to this particular context. And I think that's very difficult for, for some of us and even mm -hmm. for some of my students and has led to some uh, very excesses. For example, in the Philippines, um, people have used the, the uh, anointing of Cyrus as a way to legitimize Duterte. Mm. Yeah. Saying, so, and, yeah. and that's a bit of the burden in my heart that yeah. I see people using it and it leads to somehow destruction, sometimes with wild scale destruction as a result. That's a very interesting point that people would use something, as you say, like the uh, the language of God's call of Cyrus and raising him up and being referred to as his anointed and so on, and then applying that or um, assuming that that can then be applied uh, to a political leader in today's world uh, who is exercising his authority in ways that could be seen to be very unjust. And I think the Philippines is not the only country where that might apply. Um, what you're describing as discernment of the scriptures and discernment of the context sounds to me very similar to what John Stott used to always call double listening, mm. uh, listening to the word and listening to the world. Mm. And you're describing a kind of double discernment, a discernment mm. of the scriptures and the variety within the scriptures. And it doesn't all speak with the same voice and a discernment of the context and how the two should appropriately relate and I saw you nodding, so I think you must be approving of that comparison. Uh, except this discernment of the match, uh, you need to be able to have the wisdom as well and um, the spiritual disciplines to be able to to see which is which matches which, yes. <laughs> in some sense, and yes. also to to be informed by the history of the church in the way that how the church has responded to various crises in the past and to learn from that in terms of also how to respond to one's context. And so it's not just scripture and context, it's also the, the tradition of the church, the history of the church in terms of how they have met various crises in the past. But, but I think one, one thing that I've been thinking about is that why is it that you have Christians, so we have Christians in government now who, who are 
supportive of the an autocratic government and uh, does not say anything about the extrajudicial killings. And how come? What, what happened to their discernment? And so you ask yourself, what happened to their discernment? And they used to be like, there's one this person who used to be a board member. But then what happened to his discernment? That he's now the spokesperson of the president when he used to be with us uh, addressing issues of the drug war, actually and uh, human rights issues. What happened to him? And I think uh, our discernment is clouded when, when, the, when the power element comes in. So you have this, either a desire for power or you, have, you think you know what's best for the Filipino people as if you're the savior and as if, you, <laughs> as if you're the savior of the Philippines. And therefore you want to somehow push your agenda and think that only by gaining power can you push your agenda. And I think that clouds our discernment of scripture. I think that's a very discerning point, if I may say so, that the, the idolatry of power clouds our discernment of scripture uh, in relation to the political and social realities in which we live. And again, that's, as you've described it there in the Philippines, but it's a phenomenon one sees elsewhere. Uh, so thank you for making that point. Uh, I've been talking here to Dr. Athena Gorospe from the Asia Theological Seminary in Manila in the Philippines. And it's great to talk with you, Athena, and thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you. And thank you to, to all those who are listening as well. And the Lord's blessings be upon you. Amen. Amen. That's it for today's episode. I love Athena's comments about how our presence in the lives of those who are suffering is an important ministry. May God enable all of us to be that for others, to simply walk alongside and cry with our sisters and brothers going through hard things. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.